everybody. You're in. You guys are on time. Give yourselves a hand for being on time. Come on. First app after lunch. The Hillsong Way. Well, you're in room 11, the Hillsong Way. So if, if you're on time and in the right room, double win. So good job. Um, my name is Michael Bruschi. I uh, pastor a church in Southeast Virginia. We're in Virginia Beach, uh, Chesapeake, Suffolk area. And uh, we became partners uh, with ARC about five years ago when my wife and I took over for a founder. And uh, the reason we became part of the ARC family is because we needed family. Uh, we had a crazy scenario where we became senior pastors of a mega church and did not know another senior pastor. And um, the ARC has been an incredible family for us. And uh, we've had a lot of fun uh, getting to plant churches because that's what it's all about. And so uh, we are truly, truly uh, just in awe to see all that God is doing. And I'm pumped about this session uh, because uh, I, like you, want to learn. And uh, it's fun when we get to learn uh, from the best. And I think that's what today is going to be. Uh, so in just a moment, I'm going to bring up uh, Darren Kiddo. And uh, I know you say it as a D, not a T. He just told me because uh, he's uh, from Australia. But if you don't know, uh, he is uh, the leader of so much that is going on uh, in Hillsong Global, the leader of the Hillsong Channel. He moved here two years ago uh, to really help get that rocking along with being a big part of Hillsong uh, LA. And uh, I can tell you this, he's got four kids in those teenage years and he's rocking it doing this. So I know we're going to learn a ton. Darren, why don't you come on up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, how good is it to be here? Southern California, Orange County. I was sent as a missionary to, uh, to America, and the Lord said I'd choose Orange County for you. Um, it's been a tough journey. I live in Newport Beach. Um, yeah, it's just been really tough. Just kidding. Uh, I, I actually was uh, grew up in about five minutes from our first Hillsong campus um, in a place called Kellyville and uh, you kind of drive over the Lido Bridge into Newport Beach and look out at all the yachts and just say to yourself oh you don't get that in Kellyville that's like our, our little thing you know whenever something's kind of you know this is a tough season or whatever with the kids at school you might just highlight some of the good stuff that's going on and say you know hey you don't get that in Kellyville um, but it's been it's been awesome uh, to be a part of part of Hillsong and part of what we're doing. I, I guess for me, I didn't I, I didn't know anything else. I am a product of the environment. I was 20 years old, totally away from God, angry young man, addicted gambler. Uh, got invited to go to church, came along, and over the last 28 years, I've seen God just do do um, something radical in my life. And uh, what's been awesome is to be able to see that knock-on effect in my family. And, you know, now my, my wife and my, all my kids are all in church serving so far. Um, no rebels yet. I've got a heavy hand. No, joking. Uh, no, they're, uh, they're all doing well. And I've seen two of my brothers come to the Lord, uh, both from a, uh, massive addiction backgrounds, had to go into rehab. One of them now runs that faith-based rehab. The other one's now in full-time Bible college. So, you know, I guess if you were to try and script somebody to talk about, you know, what kind of works in Hillsong and what doesn't, I, I've kind of been through the whole journey. I, I started off volunteering. Uh, I worked as a printer. We did these um, three 12-hour shifts a week, so I had four days off and 
I didn't want to go gamble, so I just volunteered the church to make sure I didn't sin, you know. And uh, so we, uh, you know, I just became a part of the part of the, the fabric, and I learned so much. And then next thing you know, they were asking me, "Oh, do you want to come on as a, as an itinerant pastor for our young adults ministry?" And so I said, "Are you sure you got the right person?" Um, just clarified that. I think I've done that about 20 times since. Uh, and took that on and, you know, we started to see some good things happen there. And then I went and passed at a location uh, out in the western suburbs of Sydney. I thought they were trying to get rid of me, but they weren't. It was just part of, you know, God's plan for, for helping train me up. And, and I came back in and, I was wor- and I've been working closely with Pastor Brian for the last, you know, 17 years. So it's been a, a pretty cool thing. I guess what I wanted to talk about today is, you know, how to build and, and sustain a, a long-term team. How do, we, how do we raise up, you know, people that are, that are going to be with us for the long haul? I, I think one of the things that we, we realize we need when, when we first plan a church or when we're building a church is we obviously need that, you know, that apostolic or that senior pastor gifting. And, and all of us know that, that the church is never going to go anywhere without that. But what I've observed over the last 20-something years is that churches don't really go to that next level unless they can develop a team of people that are going to come on the journey with them. So I thought I'd just talk a little bit about some of the cultures and some of the things that um, I, I, um, I got the unfortunate nickname of the culture police um, in our church back in the day, because um, I used to try and, you know, hey, we don't do that around here and we don't do that around here. I've obviously learned that it's probably not the smartest way to go about it and a bit more of a gentle approach. Um, but big picture, you know, I, I think... I'll hopefully be able to just show you a little bit of what, about what we do and then maybe there's one or two of those things that you might go, hey, we should try that in our, in our environment or, and you never know, we might learn something today. So be ready for questions at the end. Uh, we're going to finish at um, 20 past, so I have to go to a board meeting. I'll get fired if I don't go, so otherwise uh, I'd stay around. But I want to just start with a key, stri- a key scripture. You know, Pastor Brian has always said, and I hear him say this often to pastors, he, he says, you know, foundationally, the, the scripture that, that we've built our culture on is, is Psalm 92. And it says in verse 13, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. And I think as leaders, we quite often use that kind of a scripture to talk to people about why they should be planted, uh, you know, not going from church to church. And, you know, but what Pastor Brian really focuses on is, can people actually flourish where they're planted. Now, are we building environments where leaders and, and people can actually flourish and grow and fulfill the call of God that's on their life inside that planting? Because if they can't, why would they stick around? You know, if people reach a ceiling under our leadership or under the, the culture of our church and we wonder why people get to a certain level, next thing you know, they, they're looking for something else, maybe the challenge is that they're not able to flourish where they're planted. I think... Um, you know, the other thing he says is, is every person has a right to dream. So, you know, every person on our team has a right to dream. Everyone's got a right to a vision. You don't have to try and contain that. So within their planting, can people still have a dream and have a vision for their own life? I think um, in my experience, what I've observed over the last you know, few years is there's, there's three types of responses you can, you can have to a, a, a leader, like an up-and-coming leader, maybe a bigger leader that's in, in your world. Um, and, and we do this a lot with ARC, and that is we can send them. Right. You know, there, there's a group of people that we send out. We say, you know, we believe that there's a, there's a calling on your life, a senior pastor calling on your life, or a lead pastor calling on your life. 
and, and, and there's this sending, sending out that takes place. And I think that's awesome. But what we've always done is not send everybody. You know, hold on to some of the key guys. Hold on to some of the guys that, like in, in the office I was in, in, in Sydney, you would walk a, a, across that level and I think pretty much everybody had been there 15 years plus. You know, there's a, the, the key guys have, have all stuck around and all of them in their own right could have gone and planted the church, could have done something on their, in their own right. But there was this, this thought that if we all pull together and if we all work together, that we could do something significant on the earth. Now, when that culture started, we were one church in one location in Borkham Hills in Australia. That, was, that culture was, let's stick together, let's build something phenomenal for God. And then all of a sudden, God opened up doors we, we went to two locations. I think in Australia now there's something like 28 locations. Uh, on any given weekend, there's over 290 services of Hillsong Church globally. One senior pastor, lead pastors in 24 different countries, 200 and 200 odd services. So from that one, all, you know, majority of those leaders have come out of either our college or that environment in our staff. So there's been a real good um, balance between the ones that we kind of need to keep around that are going to keep everything strong versus the ones that we, we send out. And I think the second group of people are the ones that went. You know, they didn't get sent, but they needed to went. You know what I'm talking about? These are, these are the people that, you know, they've got a call on their life. They are eager to go and do their own thing. They're not necessarily keen to stick where they are. Um, there's parts of what they are doing that they think is beneath them or, or whatever, the, whatever the journey is, but there's people who just dislocate themselves, and that's going to happen. That's, that's, that's part of you know, church life. Even in our church, that's happened. Um, there's people who are sent. There's people who are went. But I want to talk and focus on the ones that are, that are sustained. Right. So you've got the sent, the went, but the sustained. The, the meaning of that is the conti- continuing for an extended period or without interruption. You know, people that are just the, the backbone of the church, that are building the church, that are sticking around, being a part of, of, the, of the life of, of what you're building. And I think all of us have to understand that we need that level of people in our church. You know, you can have a church that's built on a preaching gift or on an apostolic anointing. The apostle's out of town. The numbers go down by half on, on the Sunday. He's out of town. That doesn't happen in our church. You know, when Brian's away, the church still goes on, the church still grows, people still get saved, the church still flourishes. I hope that's, that's the same for you. But that's because I think Pastor Brian, and this is what he's always said, he said, I knew from day one I could not do this on my own. I knew that I needed other people. And I think if we understand that we need other people and we understand that there's, there's, this, um, you know, there's this need for all of the gifts to find a place inside our church, man, God could do something phenomenal in, in, where, where you are and you're planting. So um, I, think, I think one of the biggest stoppages to growth is, is just that turnover. You know, that turnover, oh, we've got to find somebody for the kids' ministry. We've got to find somebody for the youth ministry. I think in the first 20 years of our church, we had two youth pastors. You know, 20 years, two youth pastors. And uh, one of those was Donna Crouch. She's still on our staff. You know, key part of our team, runs all of our community engagement with government and everything. She's still a vital part of our preaching roster, preaching team. The other one is Phil Dooley, plants, has planted a church in South Africa, and it's got, I don't know, fifteen to 20,000 people in it. So, you know, those guys have, have been able to stay inside and see God do something phenomenal in their life. 
So I've just got eight things, and then I'm going to give you time to ask questions. Uh, Hopefully I can help. So the first one is sustained leaders see a way forward for their own involvement. I think we all have to be committed to to leadership pathways for people. Make it possible for people to get more and more opportunity. If they stand out or if they perform at a high level, um, make sure that their role doesn't, they don't outgrow their role too quickly. Uh, one, of our, one of our things we'll always say to people is, rather than look somewhere else for a bigger opportunity, why don't you grow that thing that you've been, you've been entrusted with? But I think there are times, and I know for myself there's been times where I've been doing something for a, for a period of time, and I needed a new challenge. And, um, you know, Pastor Brian's been, been really awesome in that. He's been able to say, hey, what about this? Or have you thought about this? And that's, not without, that's without me going to him and going, hey, uh, you know, I'm a bit bored over here. I've got this thing moving smoothly. He just instinctively knew that there was another step available for me. And I think, um, you know, understanding that everybody wants to grow. Everyone wants to move forward. Everyone wants to, you know, have more opportunity or, or, or do more and, and be, feel like they're, they're achieving something more with their life. I think, you know, if we make room for those people and aren't threatened by that, then together we're so much better. Um, you know, we've got to make sure that people are always in an environment where they can progress. You know, it's not just about the lead guy progressing, but it's about everybody progressing. It's about everybody flourishing. Understanding that if they flourish, you flourish. The, um, you know, I think if people hit ceilings or are in the same role for too long, especially younger people, they start looking for other opportunities. And being ahead of the bell curve of that and, and seeing this person's been in this for a long time, maybe it started to stagnate. What can we do as far as making more opportunity available for them? I think... Um, the balance of, of this is don't progress people too quickly. Because if you progress people too quickly, there's nowhere else for them to go and they're going to get bored pretty quickly, you know. And people get high on that whole new opportunity and, and, and new, new chance or new way to get involved. So, you know, I think that balance between not wanting people to, to cap out but not wanting people to tap out. You know, making the decision. I want to make sure that they're not just going to, you know, go hard for three years, see great stuff happen, and then all of a sudden, like... All right, nothing left for me here. We've got to build environments where people know that there's a, a way forward for their own involvement. I think uh, the second one is sustained leaders are confident that they have a future. Um, yeah, this may be con- contrary to your environment, but I'm just telling you what our environment is. We, we don't have a firing environment. We don't fire people. I mean... You know, if we catch you with the hand in the till or if you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing, then maybe, you know, that's a different story and there's been cases where that happens. But big picture, we don't just fire people because they're not doing a good job. Now, there's only a certain amount of people you can carry that aren't doing a good job, so I understand the challenge of that. But what we usually try and do is we try and find a place for people. So maybe they're not flourishing in that role, but that doesn't mean they're not a good person. That doesn't mean that they couldn't flourish in another role. So we would tend to more find a better fit for a person than to fire them. And that's, ha- that's been over a, you know, a 20, 30 year, year period of time. So you get this stability in your team where they're confident that, hey, I'm going to have a job here. You know, because that's, that's a, whether you like it or not, that's a, that's a real kind of kind of thing. I'm, there's, there's always going to be a place for me, whether it's volunteer or staff, there's, there, there's always a place for me. And I think if you're quick to fire people, I think people are quick to fire you. You know, um, 
people say, well, you know, he's got all the power, he can fire me. No, you can fire him as well. And I think if people understand that you know, there's a loyalty here, there's, there's something that we've got going on here where we believe in each other, we're planning for each other's future, we're believing for the team to grow and flourish, and we're going to find a way for you to find your fit and be fruitful. It might not be what we originally thought. That didn't work, that didn't work, that didn't work, but maybe this will work. And I think if people feel confident in that, then they're, they're much more um, open to developing and training up other people. They're not threatened. So the byproduct of that is everyone's willing to give everyone a go because they know that there's a place. You know, one thing for us is we don't tolerate disloyalty. So, you know, there's a few things where there's, hey, this isn't going to fly in our culture. You know, if you're going to be disloyal to not just up but across as well, that's something that we would go, hey, maybe this isn't the place for you. But big picture, we have a, a stable environment where people feel like if I make a mistake... I'm not going to get marched to my office, pack up my desk, and leave. You know, there's going to be grace for the journey. We might find a different, different fit for you, but we're going to all be a part of this, this journey together. The, uh, the third one is, I believe sustained leaders will always enjoy reproducing themselves over and over. I think if you're confident and you're sustained, you're not going to be looking over your shoulder and worry about, worried about who's coming through. You'll be looking at over your shoulder or ahead of you to try and work out who you can bring through. You know, um, I've seen such amazing excitement on leaders' faces in our environment when they are, like, promoting someone else. It's like, it's not just because he's, oh, this is my guy and I brought him to church and now he's, you know, got this key role or key volunteer or... It's more like there's just a genuine excitement because we know that if he flourishes... We all flourish. And if we create an environment where everybody gets an opportunity and all people can flourish. Now, when I say everybody gets an opportunity, I mean, there's like 10 people who stand on our platform and preach. I'm not talking about every op- everyone gets the platform. I'm saying everybody gets an opportunity. And understanding, and Brian says this, he says, we don't train people in our pulpit. They get trained before they get in this pulpit. And, and there's this, there's this, you know, this commitment to excellence but also just understanding that there's there's got to be opportunity and I think um, if we if we can make the culture of our churches that we want to train up and raise up people who can take our opportunity not just take the tasks that we don't want to do but actually take the opportunity that is a phenomenal environment and young people all of of a sudden when you do an altar call for people who want to be in ministry aren't standing back going no way I want to be in ministry they're like I want to be a part of this and uh, you know my brother came into our environment three years ago he's in full time Bible college now because he's like I I just I just want to be a part of this environment I want to be a part of this I want to I want to build the church I want to build the kingdom because there's this place for him and he's far from perfect by the way I can tell you some stories about that guy. Um, Number four, I think sustained leaders are more open to change and also will help initiate change and carry the fallout. Sustained leaders are more open to change. They'll help initiate the change and they'll also carry the fallout of change. I remember being in Bible college and, you know, 
hearing everybody talk about how awesome you've got to be, is how open to change everybody has to be. And we're all just young people, and we're like, yeah, absolutely. We've got to be open to change. And, you know, and then you kind of get a couple of years older, and you realise if you look around, nobody's actually excited about change except for the person whose idea it was. <laughs> And they're really excited about the change because it's really going to set them up heaps better, you know. <laughs> um, but what I've, what I've seen in, in, in this environment is that if people feel, are sustained, if people feel like, man, I'm here for the long haul, they understand that change means that that long haul is a longer haul. In other words, if we don't change, we die. You know, if we, go, if we as a church continue, like if we were still singing the songs we were singing in the 90s, if we were still leading the way we were leading in the 90s, if we were still running church services or we were around church services in the 90s, we wouldn't be around. So there's this need for constant change and this need for constant growth. But if people aren't, don't feel secure, then all of a sudden they're, they, they're, they're resistant to change because they're, they're threatened by change and they're worried that change means something bad for me. You know, uh, we're going to change the, the, the children's ministry and all the children's ministry staff are all like, oh no, we're all going to lose our job. Or it's, it's, it's not like that. There's an environment which understands we're going to change that and we're all going to buy into the change. And not only are we going to buy into change, we're going to actually help initiate the change. And when there's fallout, we're going to lead the fallout through the change. Now that culture doesn't happen overnight, but you can build that kind of a culture where people are like, I trust you. I was talking to someone just a few minutes ago. Um, you know, I've been on our staff for, I think this is my 24th year. Um, I'm believing that Rolex has come out at 25 years, so I'm just sticking around just in case. Um, so that was a joke, by the way. <laughs> kind of. Um, sorry, I'm just thinking about the Rolex. Uh, California got me, what can I say? <laughs> no, the, um, so, you know, I totally forgot what I was going to say anyway. Yeah, so, you know, just, just watching and, and realising that, that people, oh yeah, so I, I've been a part of our church for 24 years, but two years ago I moved to Hillsong, Los Angeles and became a part of the team there with a bunch of guys, a lot of young guys, guys just straight out of college. And to be honest with you, I thought, well, you know, I'm a veteran I'm just going to walk into this environment and everyone's going to be like, oh, cool, you know, like, just tell us what to do and we're going to do it. In the back of my mind, I hadn't thought about it long enough and I'd lived within a 10-mile radius for the last 40-odd years of my life, so I'd never really moved or transitioned to a new city and I didn't understand the dynamic that I was walking into. And I walked into this dynamic where I thought everybody would trust me because I was trustworthy over 20-odd years in another country, but I realised that they needed me to prove that I was trustworthy to them. So they would love me, but, and they would say that they trusted me, but their actions would tell me that they didn't trust me. And what I learned is that in a new environment, I had to regain the trust in people. I had to prove to people that when they'd done something wrong, that I wasn't going to go to the pastor and, you know, hey, we've got to deal with this, you know, or, or that when I talked to them or challenged them about an issue, that I wasn't going to then go to someone else and say, oh, by the way, I challenged this person about this issue. But when I talked to them about something like that, it was a one-on-one conversation and that's where it ended. I can tell you that that's how I'm going to behave, but that's what everybody will tell you. But it's not until they started to like, hey, oh, you know, Pastor Ben, I'm really sorry about what Darren's spoken to me about it. And Ben would look at him like, what are you talking about? I don't, I've got no idea what you're talking about. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, oh, no, nothing, nothing. 
And over, t- over a period of time, they realize that you're trustworthy and, you know, we're still on that journey. But once people trust you and once people realize that you're trustworthy when it comes to change, they're all, they're all for it. Because they know that you're not trying to just do this little creative change to shift them out, but you actually are trying to create growth and progress to make sure that they are sustained over a longer period of time. I've, I've loved watching Pastor Brian lead and navigate change. And there'll be people like, man, I would have done this by now. I would have changed this by now. And, and you know, Pastor Brian's not dumb. He sees it all. Um, but he just waits his time, waits till, the set, till, till time is right, then brings the change and leads the culture through the change. And uh, it's, it's like a masterclass. Every time Brian's trying to bring a big shift or a big big bring a big change in our church or our team he just goes straight into leadership mode takes people on the journey make sure he's got the the champions on board the champions of the change on board and and it, it works this is helping anyone okay cool number five sustained leaders feel their gift is not only being used but is being stretched So I think when people stop being stretched, that's when frustration sets in. Um, you know, I watch Brian, he, put, he puts leaders in place over things that's going to stretch them and he allows them to grow into it rather than tries to hire a certain gifting that's proven themselves in that area and bring them in. Oh, I know for me, I, a few examples of that for me is I took on our disaster relief, um, you know, back in 1999. Yep, that's true pretty old (laughs) Um, and you know so I took that on I knew nothing about disaster relief but Brian just saw that I had a heart for helping people and went okay I think you can take this somewhere and just backed me and invested in me now I got all the team around me who all had the master's degrees in development and all those people got the right people on board but it wasn't my qualifications it was that he saw something in me and then just said, okay, I believe that he has the ability to grow into this role. When Brian asked me to take on um, our international ministry role, I got a phone call from Gary Clark, who's Brian's like, right-hand guy over, over um, our churches. And he goes, look, Brian just wanted me to call you and just let you know that you're not good enough for this job and it's going to be a stretch. And I'm like, first instinct was, what are you talking about? I'm not good enough. Um, but then I realized I was actually feeling like it was going to be a stretch. So thank you for the call and the acknowledgement. And now I've got a chance to grow into the role. See, what it did in me was it actually alleviated the pressure on me to just be a high performer from day one and actually allowed me to grow into a role that was going to stretch me. But, you know, here's Brian. He's leading a church of, you know, on any given weekend, over 100,000 people and, you know, hundreds of staff all over the world, probably thousands. And he cares enough about a transition for me to make sure that I'm walking into it and understanding that this is actually going to stretch me. You know, he's, he's making sure that there's a journey ahead of me, but I'm up for the journey. See, I think um, some, sometimes we, we try and find somebody who's got the right qualifications or has maybe, if we're not careful, maybe done that in another church and that could easily just come over and do that in this church but I think my experience has been if they've done that in that church and they they left that church then 
maybe that wasn't the role for them or that they weren't fulfilled in that role and they're going to hit the same ceiling in your church. But we've raised people up. Um, Brian talks about how one day he, 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 a guy came into our church and you know he's a really wealthy guy, an awesome businessman, straight away bought into Pastor Brian's vision and started to you know, just speak life into him and encourage him. And Brian, Pastor Brian to this day still has breakfast with him every Thursday that he's in town. That, he's in, that they're both in town. And this guy's like a, a phenomenal mentor and just good friend to Pastor Brian. And he tells a story about how when Nabi, who's the guy I'm talking about, came into our world, he said, God, give me another hundred Nabis. And God said to him, no, raise them up. Raise them up. He, I'm, he, you've given you one, thank God for that. We're all grateful for that, but raise them up. And, and if you look now at, at, at the, the men on our board and the guys that have come through under Brian's leadership, you can see that over the last 30 years, he's just continued to raise up these guys that are, that are of the same ilk as, as, as what Nabi is. The, um, you know, I just moved here, like I said, to, to run our TV channel. Um, I don't know how to run a TV channel, but it's going okay. <laughs> so I think that's probably been one of the biggest strengths of, of it is just this, this opportunity to carve out new ground. But it has it been a stretch? I think the last two years for me, after being on our staff at 24, has been the biggest stretch of my life by tenfold. Absolutely stretched me as far as I feel like I could possibly get stretched. Yet seeing God do something that I never even imagined in my wildest dreams that God would do. So what an awesome thing to be able to say. Like I was a 15-year-old kid who left school, did an apprenticeship in Australia, printed business cards and letterheads, you know, angry young man, came into our church, went to Bible college, got discipled, you know, got just opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and now I get to do this stuff and I get to bring other people on that journey with me which is even better even more fun number six I think sustained leaders are still inspired by the vision you know we 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 have this vision in our church it's called the church that I see we um pastor Brian actually wrote this in 1993 and I wanted to just Take a minute to read it to you. You got to remember this. 1993, probably a church of a few hundred people in the western suburbs of Sydney, Australia, down under, as uh, we Americans call it. Um, and he, he wrote this. You know, none of this was happening. You could look at it now and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But just you got to take yourself back to 1993. He says, the church that I see is a church of influence, a church so large in size that city and nation cannot ignore it, a church growing so quickly that buildings struggle to contain the increase, a church whose heart felt praise and worship touches heaven and changes earth, worship which influences the praises of people throughout the earth, exalting Christ with powerful songs of faith and hope. At one point, at the point when he wrote this, the only people that our songs were influencing were the few hundred people in our church, not the world. He wrote, I see a church whose altars are constantly filled with the repentant sinners responding to Christ's call to salvation. Yes, the church I see is so dependent on the Holy Spirit that nothing will stop it nor stand against it. A church whose people are unified, praying and full of God's spirit. 
The church I see has a message so clear that lives are changed forever and potential is fulfilled through the power of his word. The message beamed to people of the earth through their television screens. 1993. Hillsong Channel launched in 2016. 1993. I see a church so compassionate that people are drawn from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. I'm one of those people. I see a kingdom people so pe- I see a people so kingdom-minded that they'll count whatever the cost and pay whatever the price to see revival sweep this land. The church that I see is so committed to raising, training, and empowering a leadership generation to reap the end-time harvest that all its ministries are consumed by this goal. We didn't have a Bible college in 1993. If we did, maybe there was 12 people in it, and it was meeting in the back corridor in the night. He says, I see a church whose head is Jesus, whose help is the Holy Spirit, and whose focus is the Great Commission. And then he wrote this, yes, the church that I could see could well be our church. And at the time it was Hills Christian Life Centre, but we've now changed it to Hillsong Church. Now that was 1993. And if you look through that, it's almost a description of our church. And I don't say that to be proud, or, or but, but that's, that's what vision does. And if you have a vision for your, for your city, if you have a vision for the nation or for the world, then, you know, it's, people will be sustained if they understand that there's a far... We always say this, we've got far more vision than we do resources. In other words, we, there's more cities we want to take, there's more countries we want to take, there's more, you know, lost people that we want to bring in, but we don't have the resources to do it all. We need everybody to jump on board with the vision. Now, two years ago, Pastor Brian sat down and he wrote The Church That I Now See. So um, I didn't want to read that out because it's a lot longer, but you can just find that online if you just do Hillsong Church that I now see and read through that. That's his vision for the next 20 or so years. And uh, hopefully I'll still be around to share the good news with you about it. But I I think the importance of having a vision that people can buy into that isn't just about you, your platform, your ministry, your calling... But it's actually about their planting, their future, their calling, what's on their life. Can they flourish in your environment? If you have a vision big enough, absolutely they can. If you're sitting here and you're saying, well, I'm not the lead guy, I'm part of a team, um, and my pastor doesn't think like this, your job isn't to work out how he can think. Your job is to work out how you think. Your job is to make sure that whilst I'm planted, this is the way I'm going to live my life. And, and you, can, you can force this into the culture by being this in your culture. Right. Number seven, sustained leaders see it as their church, not the church or your church. Right. It's my church. I remember as a new Christian being told, Hills Christian Life Center, it's not the church or, my, or your church, it's my church. Say that. Hillsong, Hills Christian Life Center is my church. And this understanding that I didn't just go to church. Church wasn't just something that was on a weekend. It's, this is my church. I'm a part of this thing. And I contribute to the culture of this thing. And, and I understand that if, if I have a bad attitude, that it affects this church. And, and if I don't bring myself along the journey, if I don't grow, then I affect the growth of this church. But this is my church. It's not Pastor Brian's church or someone else's church or, or your church. It's, this is where God's planted me. And I'm going to be 100%, I'm going to take 100% ownership of this. And I think just people understanding, well, you know, some leaders are so insecure, they're like, well, I'll be the one making the decision around here. It's my church. 
Whereas our culture is exactly the opposite of that. I mean, the same thing might be, the same outcome might be taking place, but no one's been, no one's been told to be quiet, it's not your church. This is our church. We're doing this thing together and we're all in. And you don't have to have the lead pastor title. And you know, we've worked hard to make sure that there's not certain titles that people go, if I'm not going to be that, then I'm not going to be you know, able to be a key voice in this or a key part of this. We create pathways for people with all different giftings. There's some people, they don't want to lead big areas. They just want to you know, lead their area. And that's fine. There's a, there's a place for you. Others want to grow. They want to be stretched. See, I early days heard that this is my church and I was crazy enough to believe it. And I still do. You know, this isn't a paycheck for us. It's not a paycheck. It's, it's never been about earning money. It's never been about a job. It's always been about growing and building God's church. And uh, I think if we keep that and if you can hold on to that throughout the years, then God can really use it. And uh, the last one, I kind of touched on this already, but is sustained leaders have a leader that cares about their journey. You know, um, one of the greatest ways that you can get people to be loyal to you is to be loyal to them. Uh, People say to me, oh, he's such a faithful guy. And, you know, people always talk about you when you're not in the room. And the stuff I hear back is, oh, Darren's so loyal or he's so faithful. I don't hear about, oh, he's such a gifted preacher or he's such a, I don't hear that stuff. You know, I I hear how loyal is Darren, how faithful is Darren. And, And you know why? I only hear that because that's what I've received. You know, I came, I came into this thing with nothing. I was a broken young man. I met Christ. Life changed. Nothing's nothing's ever going to be the same again. So I walk into this environment and I I get accepted. I go from people telling me that I'm no good and I've got no future to walking into an environment where people are pointing me out and saying, stand up, young man. I had a mullet. The guy with the mullet, stand up. I'm like, did you have to highlight the mullet? I'm working on it. I'm saving up for a haircut. I've got gambling debts to sort out. What's going on here? (laughs) You know, and start to prophesy over my life. God's going to use you. You know, you're going to change nations. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. I'm sitting there going, I'm just trying to stay saved here, guys. Like, calm down a little bit, you know. And and to be honest with you, I thought it was all fake. I thought, you don't know me. You've got no idea what I did last night. And if you did know, there's no way you'd be saying that to me. And I just kept on waiting for it to just... For the truth to really come out. People to start to turn on me. People to start picking on me. People to start doing what I'd experienced in every other part of my life. But I'm still waiting. So how do you not be loyal? How do you not be faithful? How do you not go, well, this is not because of me. Actually, far from it. I'm a passenger on a freight train and I'm just glad that I've still got a seat on the train. And, and that's why, like, when I hear people go, oh, yeah, you know, I just, I felt like, I feel like there's just more on my life. I want to, you know, I, I get that, but I just pray that more people could play a role, a team role, and see that God could actually fulfill the call on their life in that role. I'm absolutely passionate about church planners. I'm absolutely passionate about people going out and leading change, being sent out. I'm 100%. 
But there's this whole other layer of people that we need to train, raise up, release into their calling, release into what God's got on their life. And, and, and I think we can do it if we just understand that those people are so important. And I believe Pastor Brian is the best, the best leader I've ever seen at doing it. He just, he some has this ability to be able to just make people believe themselves as better. You know, I look at it and I'm like, what do you see in that guy? And I think, well, what do you see in me? So it's all good, you know, it's, a, it's okay. But I think, how do you see that on that person? And then five years later, I'm like, yeah, we all saw it all along, you know. It's, uh, yeah, man, it's a no-brainer. I think I was actually the one that told Brian about that guy, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, he's just got this uncanny ability to just spot people and go, man, God's going to use that person. I was in a conversation last week with him. We're just sitting around talking. And he's like, oh, there's two guys in the, in the city campus that I really like. And he just names them, and I didn't even know them. And uh, they're like just random guys in our church. But it's, it's as if the Holy Spirit just highlighted people and just said, Let, well, let's talk to them. Let's see what they're doing. Let's, let's try and make a way for them. Let's, and he gets, he gets off on it. He loves it. It's, uh, it's, it's an awesome environment to be in. So anyway... That's a little bit about my church. That's a little bit about how we do things. I've got another 10 minutes if there's questions. If not, we can get coffee. <laughs> Does someone want to do that? Yeah, if you have a question, just want to lift your hand up. Oh, thank you so much. I'd love to hear how do you distinguish between discipleship and leadership? Like, what do you guys do when someone gets saved? I was going to get discipled. Yeah. Yeah, I think before I think the whole discipleship uh, process for us kicks in when someone gets saved. I know for me, what it looked like was I became a part of a connect group. I was in in that connect group for a little while. Went to Bible college. That kind of gets you kind of a little bit more involved. Then I started running my own connect group. There, there was this this journey. I think um, we use the growth track now. Uh, we call it Engage. I think we just got to give everything a different name. Um, but yeah, we use Growth Track now, which is one way of just kind of getting people at least finding out where they're at. But we use Connect Groups, we use as our big discipleship tool. So we find people get discipled and connected to the church through either the, where they serve or who they're connected to. And usually the two end up crossing over at some point. So I have a question. You, know, you talk a lot about culture. I mean, that's just about every sentence you mentioned culture. And you get a lot of people here that are starting up churches and thinking about starting churches or have churches going for a short period of time. And culture typically takes a while to get built into the, the congregation of the church. My question is, how do you transition from tradition to people bringing tradition into a cultural environment? You know, I think my philosophy on that is big. The word actually means, is from cultura, which actually means to cultivate. So the word culture is actually cultivating the way we want to be. This is how we do things around here. So when we go to, when I came to Los Angeles, I didn't go, oh, this is our culture, because that's what we look like in our Sydney room. But when I came to Los Angeles, it was a different culture altogether. So what I had to do was I had to, get around, listen to our leader, get around our leader and just go, okay, I'm going to learn what our culture is and I'm going to lead that. I think culture isn't 
it's not set in stone. It's not something like, hey, these are the 10 rules of, of, of Hillsong culture. You know, people have asked me to do that talk 100 times. I don't have that talk because it depends on what room we're in. Um, each lead pastor has the ability to be able to create their own culture. But I think what it is, it's being committed to this is how we want to do things around here and not being scared to go, hey, we don't do it like that here. So I, I know, I think that's what I've been able to do here. Like it's, it, the first two years here were pretty tough from that perspective for me because there were so many things I wanted to go, we don't do that. But then I was watching Pastor Ben do that. So I'm like, hold on, we do do that. <laughs> rewire, rewire, rewire. And I think where you get in trouble is when you try and lock in the rules. You, you know, this is what we do. Yeah, there's things we said we would never do that we're doing now. So, you know, you can't afford to build a monument to rules, but you've got to be committed to creating the culture that you want it to be, and it's going to change over time. Great, great. Yeah. You talked about how uh, you don't tolerate disloyalty, and um, so I'm just wondering for you, like, after all these 24 years, what are some of the signs of disloyalty, and what do you do to not tolerate it? Um, I think the sign, usually I find disloyalty doesn't manifest itself until like it comes out of people's mouth a bit too late in the game. Like it happens in the heart a long time before it actually makes it, its way out of the mouth. But I think once it gets to that mouth point, that it's, it's pretty much not the end of the road, but it, it's either there's change time or, you know, we've got to make change. Um, ultimate disloyalties would be people who are trying to find jobs at other churches or those kind of things would, if, if, you know, that kind of stuff was going on, we'd just want to make that a short transition rather than, you know, a long, drawn-out process. Um, but, yeah, definitely people having conversations that are dishonouring of their team members or of the team uh, pretty quickly would say, you know, hey, we don't talk bad about people here. Pastor Ryan always says this, we stay off the gossip train. So you'll know about key passes falling maybe six months before I do because there's no one in our world talking about it. I'm sorry, I'm not saying you, but other people will. Um, because we just, I mean, we don't celebrate fall. We don't celebrate, celebrate failings. We don't gossip and think it's good when someone's done something wrong. We just stay off the gossip train. We speak life into people. If other people are talking bad about our church, we're not going to talk bad about their church. We're going to speak life about their church. We're going to send some team and, you know, just bless it. I mean, we just, that's just how we are. So, but that'll be, that'll be picked up quick. Yeah, what are a couple of culture items, like big or small, uh, that you would say are at every campus? And then what would be just a small example, a couple that would be different between one campus to another or nation to another? I think the one that you would see common thread throughout our team is that if someone's having a problem with their oversight that, and they talk to someone else, like say if I come in and you have got problems with your oversight, I'm going to empower your oversight. I'm going to talk about how can you change and, and what can you change that would make you fit better into their leadership style. So I would coach people more. Like they might tell me something like, you know, he swears at me. That, that, I just made that up. Don't worry. It's, it wasn't anybody. Carl Lance. I'm just joking. Sorry. Um, <laughs> that was a joke. 100% a joke. Or was it? Um, no. So, you know, you've got... So if, oh, my answer with that, to that would, would be not to go, oh, that's, you know, oh, that's terrible. We're going to act on the... Oh, I'd be talking about, you know what? We all have bad days, right? 
Okay, let's work out what can you do? What's coming out of you that's drawing that out? And what can you change? Now, yes, I would then go have the conversation about what needs to change there, but I'm not going to talk to this guy and tell him, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to your pastor and fix this for you, buddy. I think that would be a culture that you would find across our church, is this whole understanding that you know, we honour up, we, we, we minister down, we, we help get change across, but then we challenge up or sideways if we need to. Um, I think as far as unique, Brian cares about stuff Gary doesn't, for example. Like Brian might care, um, you know, Brian would never call someone, Brian, to this day, I think he's called me once at midnight. And that was because his PA's father had died. He was in Italy on vacation. He wanted to come back and get a plane, but he didn't want to bother his PA. So he called me. He wanted to come back for the funeral. That's the only time he's called me at midnight. Whereas Gary might do that because that's just what he wants to do. That's what the time works for him. He's going to do it. We've, we've got a global church, global team. You never know what time it is. So, you know, so, so sometimes that might create people on, you know, on their phone. Whereas I'm not the guy that's like sitting there on my phone constantly at night just in case Brian calls. I think that could be different in some of our rooms. Do one more? Yeah. Uh, hey, how are you? Lots of uh, church planters and young teams are very. When it comes to this piece of culture, um, talk to us about protecting the culture when it comes to promotion and external hires. Um, also, like when we have positions to fill, we're growing, and there's things happening. You know, obviously the value of internal promotion, um, but also every now and then there is that person. It's like, how do you wrap that around the ongoing building culture? Yeah. I think the first thing I'd say to the initial part of the question was, would be build a church that you would go to. That's what Brian always said. He said, I wanted to build a church that I would actually want to go to. People like me would want to go there. And I think that means you're more true to yourself. I think when it comes to raising up a team, um, you know, especially when you plant, like, for us, people, our ex-college students or whatever, they come from everywhere. You know, people will come from everywhere, and then you've got this, like, what we found in Los Angeles was the first few years to actually sort out, okay, they because they, people had, can put on a, a good show for six months, and when you've got, like, a fast-growing church, you've got to hire some people. You, they're not necessarily external hires, but they've come into the church from, you know, from wherever they've come from and come with the plan, but, you, you know... It takes a long time to actually get to know and trust someone. So sometimes those initial hires... Stop. Sometimes, sometimes those initial people on the team can... You know, as you get in the trenches, stuff starts to come out, you know. But I definitely think for us there's been a few key hires that have been external, especially when it comes to the channel. Like we launched a Hills, uh, the Hillsong channel. We had 10 TV staff and we needed 70. So I think 60 of them came from within our church, which is pretty awesome. But um, there's a bunch of people that we had to bring in, a bit of expertise and those kind of things. So I think this time, but rest assured that training the culture into the external hires was much harder than training the skill into the team that we'd raised up. Much harder. Except for Will Petty. He's different. He came ready-made. I hope that helped. Thank you so much.